0: Welcome to the RSP cast, Mark Schofield on my right, some kook in a hat on my left, um, yeah, or what direction? That, right? And go. yeah, and there's <laughs> yeah, right. I'm right, me neither. I'm always trying to point it, do crazy shit with like Sigmund and Cecil, and yeah, find myself spending five minutes trying to fix the right way to point. But right. I do. But you did point over at Yoda over your shoulder, which I, find, get, I get.
1: see. I can't do it again. You, did that, go, you right? did that pretty. Yeah, yeah. You, you you you, you
0: triangulated it almost. We well, just it's need a it's third like finger.
1: you know, would people make fun of like TV meteorologists? because they can't get, you know, forecasted, right. It's like, okay, I understand that. But you try doing what they're doing when they're, you know, pointing to a green screen.
0: Yeah, that's, like a, it's, it's not easy. That's like Ginger Rogers type of stuff right yeah. there. You know, yeah. if you don't know who Ginger Rogers is, then ask your grandparents or, yeah. or your great grandparents if you have those. If not, yeah. I think, I think Google Googles. will help you. Yeah, Google yeah. will help you. The Google machine. The but Google machine. speaking of, speaking of people that, who might be football fans who are young and they go, well, grandpa's finally going to retire yeah yeah drew Brees, is it over for him what you know i think it
1: might be matt i think it might be and i i don't want to say that um because i've you know it's been a joy watching drew Brees over the years um from his accuracy which i think is unparalleled uh to the fact that he's just you know a computer on the field um but when you've seen him down the stretch this year, and it was before the rib injuries, you know, you started to see the velocity dip, I think, below that sort of NFL threshold, right? You know, he's always been so good at throwing seam routes. But before the injury, and certainly after the injury, those throws got tougher for him. A lot of the throws he was trying to make against the Buccaneers on Sunday, even just routes towards the boundary, those were really tough for him. Um, You know, and, and I think if you're hoping that he comes back, what you saw after that game probably isn't leaving you with the warm and fuzzies, you know, the long time on the field with his family, with his wife, taking it all in that final look, walking down the tunnel back to the Superdome field, the way he sort of walked off that field. I I, I do think that we're seeing the end of him. Um, and it's unfortunate that his last game was what it was, um, you know, but it's it's rare the athlete that gets to go out on their terms. It's extremely rare. Um for me, and I know we're gonna talk about Tom Brady, you know, but there's a part of me that wished both Brady and Gronk after Super Bowl 53, after that one big play down the seam, they said, Look, we're going out on top, we're going out winners. Um, you know, Elway got to do it, but not many do. For most, it's something like this, you know, where it's or or if you you know, everybody's all American, right? That movie, The Grey Ghost. Um, another sort of throwback. You know, ask your grandparents about it, or you <laughs> can probably find it on YouTube. Or Dennis Quaid. You know, you Dennis Quaid. I mean, you know, here it's a movie, but I always like to bring up, you know, pop culture when we talk about stuff like this. You know, he's a standout at LSU, you know, Heisman Trophies, all this good stuff. But the last image of him is in a Denver Broncos uniform at the end of his career. And he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, for too many athletes, you know, that's the way it ends. And I think that's what we're seeing with Breeze. Now, I'm gonna turn this to you, and I have a fear in the back of my mind, you're gonna be like, No, he's not done, but I don't know. Is he?
0: Yeah, I think he's done too. Okay. I think i yeah. I think my denial stretch during the early part of the season is now over. I was yeah. in a bit of denial about him throwing the football. Um, and I think more of it than anything was that they knew he probably he was just taking the easy throws when they were playing deep on him a lot. But a lot of that was because he wasn't able to hit some of that stuff. So with that in mind, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I understand what it would be the whole, it would be nice to go out on top. But I'm kind of one of those people, Mark, that I the more we watch these players, I like watching them fight to the end because that's what made them what they are. Yeah. I mean, like Drew Brees was the was the guy who out of Texas who didn't get the big opportunity to go to a Texas school or a big 12 school or, you know, and he had to go to, to little, well, to Purdue where the last good quarterback before him was probably Bob greasy. Um, you know, so he, you know, he fought his way into the position he did. So he's going to fight his way in. He's fighting his way out. I, I don't know. I just admire seeing that fighting spirit. And to me, they, you can't tell these guys when to quit. They just don't know when to, and it's understandable. So I'm not going to, you know, when people criticize those guys for saying they should know when to, to leave. I'm, I'm like, you're basically asking, uh, you're asking a dog to issue a bone. I mean, it's yeah. just like, that's just not going to happen. So to me that he's built that way, you know? And so, you know, I think the second part of the question I want to ask you after I answer it too, is, what you learned about quarterback play from watching his game. And I think for me, some of the most important things were, one, um, the ability to find open passing lanes and that creating passing lanes through your drops and through how a team might set you up was was a big thing that Drew Brees did successfully. Um, ungodly pinpoint accuracy, which he had. I mean, even in the deep range of the field, and the ability for him to be able to stand in the pocket and be tough and make some of those plays but his quick processing in the red zone that was probably one of the biggest things for me watching him when, and learning was you know how he could manipulate but also how he could get rid of the ball so fast and put the ball in a place where it needed to be um so you know there was so much if it weren't for Drew Brees, I probably would have been a robo quarterback guy, like, and, and just thought the Josh Allen's of the world are the guys I'm waiting for there, and they're good. But I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have been open minded about other players who were shorter than, you know, in his height range, like a Russell Wilson.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that point is kind of what I wanted to pick up with, because, you know, we often think of Russell Wilson as the guy right now that has like opened the doors to the Bakers and the Murrays, you know, these undersized quarterbacks. But in many ways, it was Breeze that opened that door for Russell, like you just sort of said. And, you know, I think it's important that we sort of look at the arc of his career and see how the opportunities he was given, he made the most of them. You know, you mentioned sort of finding throwing lanes, which I think was huge for him and his development. And, you know, they also one of the lessons I take from him is Marty Schottenheimer's role in his development. And I always brought up the piece that you wrote about ruining quarterbacks and Schottenheimer sitting breeze down, um, which brings credits with some of his development and some of the ways he was able to become the quarterback he is right now. Um, you have to handle quarterbacks differently. You have to handle quarterbacks sometimes the best favor you can do them is, is to sit them down, which, which is something we might talk about with a guy we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So, you know, there's a number of things to learn from Breeze. Um, but, yeah, I think opening the doors that he did is also a huge lesson.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I kind of want to put a, a cap on this as well and that, and the point about, you know, being analysts. Um, you know, being analysts of the game, I mean, Drew Breeze said some things during the – during the summer, that just kind of showed his ignorance about the BLM movement and and things like that. And I certainly can understand people who probably are like, "Well, I remember that about you," and I and I feel like that that's who you are. And I don't believe that's all changed all that much. To be honest with you, um, to me, there's a whether I agree with his with um, Drew Brees's points of view or how he is um, off the field. Um, what I saw on the field, I certainly have no problem being able to celebrate. Um, you know, to, to me, this is just, he's a young, he's still a young man overall to me, you know, a guy in Well, maybe not young, but he's still a, a guy that still has room to learn things in his life and grow just like we all do. Um, and it's easy for me to separate whatever, whatever things that you'd look at what he says on or off the field from what he does as a quarterback. I mean, that's. That's part of enjoying the game too is that I mean I I don't need my I don't need the guys that I look up to in terms of their play to be heroes to me off the field. Um, yeah, it's
1: that that Barkley I'm not a role model line, right? Yeah, exactly. I, you know, if you could separate that, you can separate that. And uh, I think Breeze showed that he could learn in some sense from you know what happened over the summer and what happened with the BLM movement and you know when people show that willingness to try to learn, to try to take the steps to you know, understand what they previously haven't understood, I think we should welcome that. I don't think it's a situation where you have to sort of just, you know, push people to the side, you know, if they've made comments in the past that you know disagree with. Like if they've showed an openness and a willingness to learn, that should be accepted. That should be understood and you should try to sort of embrace that. Exactly.
0: You know, and well I understand people who might be cautious. I think there's a I think there's a line I think there's a line between cautious and canceling. Yeah. You know, and and so I, I think you're that's well put, Mark, in terms of how you how you mentioned that. So let's move a little bit further east, and I saw some football writers calling for insert the big name receiver here, you know, into Baltimore, and I and I I kind of commented, I think they're putting the cart before the horse. But what do you think about that?
1: Well, I I think it's weird to see the aftermath. Of that Baltimore loss, I, I thought Lamar's performance against the Titans, I thought was big because not only did he get the first playoff win, but he got a comeback one. They were down 10 points and they came back. And granted, it was early, but I do think that a lot of the book on Baltimore and Lamar was, if you can get a lead on them, forget it. They, they, they can't win when they're one dimensional. Um, but I do think. You know, I was telling my family this yes Monday on a I mean, Sunday on a, a family zoom, which we do every week with both my parents and my wife's parents. But I was telling my wife, my my parents who are huge football fans, um, I could tell early in that game Saturday that Lamar was gonna struggle because he seemed hesitant in the pocket, he wasn't willing to make throws. Now, when you watch that game, you know, watch the replay, the all 22, some of the replays during the game live. Buffalo did a great job taking away his throws. Like they did a good job of taking away throwing lands. And Leslie Frazier deserves all the accolades that he's getting right now and a potential head coaching job for the job he did just against Baltimore alone. You know, but I do think that, you know, there isn't like an easy fix. The idea that you could just get Kenny Galladay and drop him into Baltimore and it's fixed. <laughs> like I I don't I think that will help. I I think there's a fine line between the people who want to just say, look, Lamar will never do it the people that want to say look we got to get lamar help like i think you can help lamar i think you can get people around him you know whether it's a wide receiver or and, you know a running back whatever offensive line different schemes different play calls to help him i think that's important because i think he's a very good to elite quarterback that you should try to do good things for you know whether it's tom brady or Kyler Murray, like your job as an offense, as an organization is to help your quarterback and put him in a position to be successful. But I do think that there are areas that Lamar, Lamar himself needs to improve upon. And one of them is this still sometimes hesitancy in the pocket. Now that could be a product of the fact that he's such a good athlete that if he doesn't quite, if it's not 100% there in his mind, he's like, I'm better off just creating with my legs and creating outside of the structure than trying to force a throw. And maybe that's what they're telling him. I don't know. It could be. Um, But I think that's an area where he himself could have benefited from improving.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. And I think that, to me, the the question that I have about it is when people are suggesting Galladay or Allen Robinson, I'm sitting here going, well, Galladay is at least a go-up-and-get-it kind of receiver, which I understand. Robinson can – Robinson can be that, but he's more of a route runner than I think people realize. You know, he's yeah. much more of a technician than I think Holiday yeah. is. And and in order to maximize a player's game where they're a, a tech technician like that, you have to be accurate out on the on the perimeter on timing routes, and he's not. That's yeah. that's where he's weak. So unless. Unless he gets stronger doing that, and I honestly don't think he ever will. I mean, I am I I think that he, like you, I think he's a, a very good quarterback, maybe an elite quarterback for sure, and he's terrific in the pocket. But, you know, the problem with his game is that it is a unique sort of game. So trying to apply uh, what you would do for Matt Ryan type of thing doesn't really work well for for Lamar. But the thing is, is where the Ravens go from here, because if if they have to, if they're going to lean on Lamar Jackson, then that means they are leaning on some level of improvisation, some level of him having a blend of quick decision-making, but also being able to buy time and create. But knowing that teams basically know that it's, it's kind of like try and stop us. And the, and we basically are a team that isn't, you know, is limited on offense. You know, there's certain right. limitations. Now, the things that they do well, they do great. So I think the the goal then for the for the Ravens is going to be, how do we make what we do great even greater? Because maybe the way to win isn't necessarily to try and make Lamar Jackson be, um, you know, better in, in certain areas that he's never going to get better at instead maybe to concentrate more on the fact that you lost Marshall Yonda, on the fact that you need to get continue to make the offensive line as great as possible um, continue to make the tight end play in the middle of the field receivers as good as they can be and to really shore up that defense and to get you know continue to add to that defense and make it a dynamic defense where yeah you the as little as possible, rely on Lamar Jackson to come back in games. And sometimes he's going to get tested that way, but it's kind of like Baker Mayfield. You know, I mean, you limit what Baker Mayfield does, he can help you, you know, he can help you out. You limit what, Tom, you know, Kirk Cousins can do, well, you know, sometimes he can help you out. But right. you, you get the point. And I think that with with Lamar, that's, that's going to be the thing with him is that me, I just think that adding a receiver there, you're just spending a lot of money on something that you're not. It's just like you know, Arya Stark. You're not going to get her a, you're not going to get her a noblewoman's dress because she no, said that's not exactly. me. Yeah. You know, that's her phrase. Like you watch that, and she's like, that's not me. You know, well, you'll marry a fine nobleman. That's what Ned says, and she's like, nope, that's not me. You, you know, she knows who she is, and she maximizes what that is. And I think that we got to look at. Lamar Jackson understand that what he isn't you're not going to put a let's not put a dress on him that's, that's right. the way I put it so what about this guy that you alluded to to a tongue of Iloa you know what are your thoughts on them supposedly souring on him and whether this would even be a story if Deshaun Watson might not be potentially available
1: yeah I I thought it was weird this weekend I was talking with some other people there was that tweet from Vince Beagle a linebacker who went to Wisconsin now he's with the Dolphins and when Field Yates put out something about you know Deshaun Watson a picture of Watson photoshopped into a Dolphins uniform you had the Vic Beagle tweet where he's like doing the furiously nodding gif and after an hour that tweet disappeared probably because somebody got to him but I was telling some friends I was getting vibes of 2004 the winter of 2004, in the Boston area, there were all these rumors that the Red Sox were going to trade for Alex Rodriguez when they had Nomar Garcia power as their shortstop. And then you had guys like Kevin Millar, their starting first baseman on ESPN, being asked, "Like, who's your shortstop? Come open a date. He's like, it's going to be Alex Rodriguez. You know, they're oh. running the dude out of the building. And they didn't swing the trade for A-Rod. They started open a day with Nomar and shortstop. But you could tell that winter during that sort of hot stove season, Nomar's days in Boston were numbered. And sure enough, they traded him by the trade deadline. And so when you see players now just openly saying, yeah, we want Deshaun Watson as our quarterback, you start to wonder if there is sort of something behind the scenes. Now, from a personal sort of evaluator standpoint, I think a lot of it should be overblown. I think a lot of it is just giving up on a guy way too soon. You know, he's somebody that we thought this time last year that whoever drafts him might not play him as a rookie because of his hip. You know, but they played him midseason, they had a plan for him. I think, in some sense, their sort of magical run to a potential postseason berth, coinciding with his rookie season was almost a bad set of circumstances because they had to balance doing what was right for Tua with trying to stay competitive, and it didn't quite just mesh well. And the fact that there were these rumblings before Watson became potentially available. Now, because there were people saying before the Watson rumors kicked up that they might draft a quarterback at three. I think this, this is one of those where there's smoke, there's fire situations. And it's frustrating um, because I think that there is a good quarterback in Tua. There is an NFL starting quarterback in Tua. They're going to give up on him too soon if they do this. But at the same time, when you have an elite quarterback like the Sean Watson, it, those guys don't just grow on trees. I mean, you get a chance to get one that you know is already there. You know, it's like the family guy, Peter Griffin, thing. you know, boat's a boat but a box could be anything it could be a boat like if you have the chance to get the boat like maybe two gets there but why not get the guy who's already there um so i mean it's frustrating but i understand why some of miami's building including maybe the front office might say okay well let's try to do this
0: yeah it's it's such a difficult scenario and it's such a unique situation because yeah. when it comes down to it part of me would like to joke around as a former miami resident saying no well, yeah, they're building this team just like they build the crappy buildings they have all over South Florida that look right. like that they, they just erected them very quickly to make a quick buck. And then they look like something that, that uh, a stiff breeze might blow down or that you wish you could burn down because they're so damn ugly. But, um, and I'm not talking about downtown Miami, but, uh, right. but you know at the same time, here's the thing. It, you if you really believe that your team is in the window already, and you didn't expect it, and and you think that they're here to last at least for the next year or two, you don't want to wait. Yeah. You may not want to. Now the question is: is what are you going to have to pay to get the Sean Watson? That's going to cost you to be able to fortify the team so that he doesn't wind up in another Houston Texans scenario. Because to me, that's the that's the potential issue is that they're, you know, they're, they're on the way up, but are they going to limit their resources because they have to assume, you know, the contract that Watson has, are they going to have to pay extra money? They're going to have to pay more in picks. Are they going to have to give away a lot of pieces that actually make Watson the, the player who could, can help them get to a Super Bowl? And I, and I, I think the answer is, You know, I think the answer is going to be interesting here. We're going to see how that plays out. Um, But then from a Tua standpoint, you know, to hear some of the players or hear rumors of the players talking about Tua, to me, that also tells me that this team's not ready either. Um, Because if you're going to come out and sit there and talk about that, um, then you probably don't have the locker room yet to be a good team. You probably don't have the maturity of players to have a good team because this would be handled internally with the excellent teams we find out twenty years from now about all the crazy stuff that, that went on or what people were thinking and wanting and how the locker room was divided, but nobody knew. You know, yeah. and, and I think that this is a situation where you know, Miami's being Miami. You know, the, the vestiges of what they were in the past and why they haven't been successful, which is they get a whiff of it. They get a small whiff of of the success and it's like to me in hindsight you either do one of two things you say you know what Tua we're competing for a we're competing for a, um, a playoff spot we're gonna bench you and you're gonna watch you're gonna watch how a veteran handles this and you're gonna get the most out of this and you're gonna learn and it's gonna be a positive experience for you and you got your taste of starting ahead of schedule honestly so great next year you can compete for the job you know, and, or you just say, or you say to your team, which is probably not what, why they didn't do this is we're starting to, uh, we're going with it. You know, we feel like we don't feel like, um, we feel like this is an experience that he's going to get the most out of. It's going to help build for our team. And we're a young team and we feel like we have more opportunities left. And, um, you know, but I don't think they could honestly say that with a straight face, I think so, especially when you have Fitzpatrick. So right. th- there was really only one answer, which was to bench him, and I think they should have done that because trying to play both sides of it, they they became people pleasing on some level, and that's now you have your team the way it is. So yeah, it's a. I think too. I, I agree with you. I mean, I obviously nothing changed. I watched him. I we watched him. I didn't think, you know, he had good weeks. He had bad weeks. Yeah. I, I'm not looking at, but. Didn't have any, I, I thought Josh Allen had a lot worse week, weeks as a rookie than Tua ever did. Um, yeah. So, you know, anybody who's out there is like, Tua's not equipped. I'm just like, well, I, I can't agree with you.
1: I mean, I, I think the thing might be, if Miami thinks that they can get to the postseason next year, then yeah, then then Ghosts win the trade for Watson. I mean, you've got the, the, the pick at three. You've got another first rounder like, you could do that, package those to and maybe another late round pick or enough first next year or whatever, wouldn't really hamstring you. Um, you could probably make it work. And then from Houston's perspective, now you've got the young quarterback on a rookie deal and you have absolutely no draft capital going into this draft. So now you've got three and you know, eighteen or seventeen or whatever they've got. Yeah. It could be a quicker turnaround than you expect. Although I think Houston you know, and our good friend Rivers might, you know, be able to shine some light on this one if he hasn't already, and I believe he has. Houston has bigger problems than just who's taking their snaps next year.
0: Yeah, and I don't think Jack Easterby is going to be succeeding with uh, Alit with Mac, no matter what type of man. Right. You know, I don't think he's that kind of guy. So yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Um, a guy who's had a fascinating career um, was Ben Roethlisberger. Could it be over in Pittsburgh? Could it be over period? And if so, what'd you learn from him? And if not, what could, where could he be um, elsewhere as a viable one to two year option a la Phillip Rivers?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, Roethlisberger always had that, you know, one foot out the door mentality to him. Like he has a bad game. I mean, I remember the senior bowl like six years ago, you know, he lost to the Patriots in the AFC championship game and he's making rumblings about retirement and, you know, here we are sixty years later and he's doing the same stuff. So, you know, he's like far to me in a sense, in a couple of different ways. One, the sort of the way he played the game, um, the, the sort of toughness in the pocket, but also that I'm not going to believe he's retired until he's literally in Canton. Like and even then I might still expect him to come back like Joe Gibbs style and say, well, I, I got another year or two with me. Um, you know, if he decides, if Pittsburgh decides to move on from him, you know, could he be a mentor type? I don't know if Roethlisberger is a mentor type of quarterback. I, I really don't think he is. Um, so the idea of him mentoring, say, a Zach Wilson in San Francisco, I'm not so sure that makes a lot of sense. Um, the idea of him sort of landed in, you know, maybe Indianapolis says, look, we'll try another aged veteran quarterback. It will now take a swing with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, maybe that could work. You know, obviously a wild card would be New England. Would he like go up there for a season and then mentor Mac Jones? I don't know. Um, I I can't picture him in anything other than the black and yellow. I I really can't. Um, you know, so as far as what I learned from Roethlisberger, you know, I I think he might be the last of the physically mobile quarterbacks. And what I mean by that is he's not beating you with his foot speed. No, he's beating you with his pocket toughness. You know, his extension of plays is I'm going to make throws with guys draped on me, you know? Like I'm Hodor, since we're gonna continue this Game of Thrones theme. Like I'm Hodor, holding the door, you know, with, with you know the White Walkers kind of like clawing at me, but I'm still gonna do just enough to get off a throw. I mean, that's that's what I've always appreciated about Ben, and that's you know one of the things that, you know, we might not see that again. I mean, you know, maybe Cam Newton had some of that to him, but you look at some of these guys that are coming up. It, you, there's not a lot of guys I'm going to be competent to Ben Roethlisberger in the next couple of classes, so
0: I mean that's something I always enjoy about him. That's true because I remember watching Ben Roethlisberger when David Garrard and Steve McNair were still playing football, and he was kind of they were all kind of those players where it was yeah. like the, the Hodor analogy is a, is a perfect one in terms of in terms of that. You know I'm not gonna. I don't know. I I kind of feel like I need Gene Bramble to be here so that he can sit right. there and say something completely mean about Ben Roethlisberger because he, he can't stand Ben Roethlisberger, um, right. which is so much fun to listen to him on private messages. um talking about Ben Roethlisberger. Um, but you know, as a, as a player, you know, the, he was, he was also just such a very smart improvisational player. Um, so I I really loved his on-field savvy. It was just you know, he he had a feel for where where he could check it down, when he could check it down, but he had that arm to be able to do some magnificent things um, you know, in the you know, in terms of being able to attack downfield and be able to attack tight windows. And he had some great receivers over the years, you know, yeah. to work with too. And so you know, if he I think it's done for him. I but with this caveat, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think he's going anywhere to mentor anybody. No. Um, but I do think that say, say Tom Brady gets hurt in Tampa Bay, um, yeah. late late in the season, or Aaron Rodgers gets hurt late in the season, um, or some established quarterback like that, um, I think that Ben Roethlisberger could be coaxed out of retirement to be able to play behind a really good team and give it one more run. And I think that it would be those two scenarios that would make the most sense though. If I were to pick a team that would, that would be fun to see him with as one final run. And it won't happen because they're already deeply invested in drew lock, but that's the Denver Broncos, um, Yeah, you know? So unless drew they're totally sour on drew lock. Um, and there have certainly been some rumblings there too. Um, but you know, I don't think Locke's time is up nearly, nearly close to being up yet. So yeah. it's not as long as
1: Elway's in the building, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. But how long will Elway be in there? That's the that's a good question too. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, I, I'm very curious. You know, their their new general manager. Um, you know, I just saw that Vic Fangio was basically saying like, we want him to like watch Locke on his own and come to his own decision. Um, you know, from everything I've heard, you've probably heard the same. Elway was very pro lock, um, but now with Elway sort of moving out of the GM role and somebody else coming in, Mike, and somebody has a different point of view on that one.
0: Yeah, well, as we'll continue the Game of Thrones things and say, is Elway the queen the queen regent, or is the, um, y- you know, and is there wildfire under the building? That's all I want right. to know. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <coughs> you know the re- the we told you so section of this of the um of the podcast which we haven't done at all really no. but this is the first time we're going to unveil the we told you to- so section because Tom Brady's in the NFC conference yep. championship what should people learn from the fact that after all what we heard yeah yet again <laughs> here he is you
1: bet you bet against this man at your own peril and i was telling people the second this hire, this move was announced and he was going to Tampa Bay, I said, you're going to see the best of Tom Brady this year. Now, maybe we didn't get quite to that level, um, but we get darn close. I mean, to get to the NFC Championship game, his first year in Tampa Bay, I think is a pretty impressive feat. Um, now, look, their defense played extremely well on Sunday, and part of that was what we opened the show with, the Drew Brees. Um, but if you're out there thinking this man is cooked, this man is done, think again. Now look, the, the Cliff could come at some point, but I've been defending Tom Brady against the Cliff since like 2013, kids. Okay. And now I am happy that I got to pass the torch off to say John Ledyard, who's now covering the Bucks, and he's fighting those battles. And I always kid John, like when I see like Brady having a bad game and people are starting to say that his arm's cooked, and John's out there yelling at Twitter. You know, I'm sending him texts, I'm sending him DMs, and I'm like, yeah. Go get him, buddy. It's all you now. I don't have to fight these (laughs) battles anymore. Um, But it's true. You bet against this guy at your own peril. The the cliff could come, you know, now when you get to be 44, 45, like you don't heal the same way you used to. um, You know, he's one bad injury away. But so are quarterbacks that are 34. So are quarterbacks that are 24. Um, This is a man that is still doing it at such a high level, the pocket movement, the accuracy, the velocity. Yes, it is still there. You know maybe some deep seven deep out routes you know well outside the numbers you know he might want to avoid some of those because he's thrown some picks or near picks on him this year but for 95 percent of what you need tom brady to do he's still as good as it gets
0: yeah and you know the only thing i saw that was significantly different was what you discussed mid-season which was he doesn't have the same offense they don't have the same hots they you know bruce arians has a different way of asking him to do things and he and that motor muscle memory that you so aptly described isn't clicked in yet because it's his first year playing with these guys even Antonio Brown is starting to come on a little bit you know so what you're seeing is you could be very well right that the best we see of Tom Brady might come next year next not even next year might be next week might be in the few weeks you know that might I mean, be the,
1: look, if there's a quarterback that can go into Lambo field and drown that out, drown out the environment, the elements. You're going to – look, I'll also tell you this, kids. Some of the most dreaded phrases you could use if you're an opponent defensive coordinator, Tom Brady in the scuba suit
0: because he's going to put
1: that scuba suit on. He's going to be ready to roll at Lambeau. I don't know. I mean, we might
0: be seeing this team in in Tampa in a couple weeks. Very well could be. So, yeah, so we go from a classic matchup that's ahead – So what was really kind of an underrated classic playoff game um, between the Chiefs and the Browns? What were your thoughts about that game?
1: I mean, my thoughts about that game, I think, I still feel the same way about the Chiefs that it did going into this game, which is I don't know what to make of them right now. I, I really don't. Now, look, obviously that game changed in a dramatic way when Mahomes won out. I mean, that game really sort of swung from there. But even up until that moment, you still get the sense that the Browns were sort of they were handing around. They were keeping it close. Like it wasn't quite the huge blowout that people thought it might be. And that's kind of in line with what we saw from the Chiefs down the stretch. Like you go back to their blowout against the Jets, I think in week like seven or something. Every other game since then that, you know, they had their starters in was a one score game. And that includes games against the Panthers and the Falcons and, you know, some teams that didn't make the playoffs. And now here we are. And yes, Mahomes went out, but you get another one score game. So either they're battle-hardened, battle-tested, iron sharpens iron, and look, they're going to be fine? Or one slip-up and they're in trouble? And if you go back, look, it's weird that we get two rematches of week six games in the championship week this weekend. But if you go back to that Chiefs-Bills game from earlier this year, that was in the middle of a stretch where Allen was really struggling against zone coverage. There was that stretch that he had, you know, that Tennessee game, that Chiefs game. A Jets game where he threw 300 yards and then the first time he saw the Pats this year where I think his passer rating against zone was like 69%. I mean 69 It was his passer rating. One touchdown, four picks. It wasn't great. He figured out zone later in the year. He had a great stretch down the stretch, you know, against Denver and Pittsburgh and um, the Patriots the second time where he was carving up zone coverage. But if you watch that week six game, the times he got man. He just missed on throws. Allen just missed on throws. The Chiefs were living dangerously, and that might actually catch up with them in the AFC Championship game. So, I think my major takeaway from it is the Chiefs kind of still are who I think they are, which is a team that is either vulnerable to losing or just really forged by a bunch of one loss, one score games.
0: Yeah, it's to me it just, just starting with that game. I think for me, taking the Brown side of it. It was a classic Cleveland Browns playoff game, which is basically some crazy mistake basically costs them the real opportunity to to win the game, the play at the goal line with Hollywood Higgins, which, you know, who is a good wide receiver. He's a good young wide receiver. Um, Though I will say that Hollywood should never be a wide receiver nickname. Um, It It seems to
1: be a death knell.
0: It is a death knell. That's reserved for linebackers. So, you know, Thomas Thomas Henderson's like revenge.
1: Into the king.
0: That's right. That's right. So <laughs> I like these references, my man. Yeah. So but but the thing is, is that when you look at what Cleveland did, I mean, they lost the linemen. that they lost Jedrick Wills early, then they lost Lamb, and they were still able to adjust. And I like the fact that they were able to adjust. They went to a more of a gap-running game. They still Tried to run through the Chiefs and they had success doing that. Baker Mayfield made timely throws. He was, I thought he was good overall. He did have an interception that was kind of a Baker esque type of play, but it, he didn't lose his composure right. in, in that situation. And he's never really been a, a lose your composure guy more than he's just been, he's either been on it or he's been lost trying to do too much, you know? So, you know, I think the Browns. It's it's promising if you're a Browns fan. Um, if you're, you know, from the Chiefs' perspective, yeah, I have a tough time thinking they can win next week um, unless Mahomes is back. And right. and if Mahomes is back, then he can carry that team. He can bring them back. But and I don't think Clyde Edwards Hilaire is going to be ready. And even if he is, I don't think he's if he's going to play. He may play, but I don't think he'll be ready to play. I think we're going to see that pretty clearly. And it's just that offensive line isn't the same unit that it once was. So, but man, what a gutsy call that, that Uh, the Chad, the Chad Henney, you know, pass play, you know, after it looked like Cleveland had stopped him by like basically the length of a forearm and for him to be able for them to run that play like that was just I think there are there are two coaches
1: in the game right now that would have done that there's Andy Reid and there's Bill Belichick
0: I think any other coach
1: in that situation is doing what everybody thought they were going to do they're going to bleed the clock down and say look you know Baker Mayfield go drive the length of the field against us but Andy said no we get a chance to win this game right here like I'm not going to leave it up to the to the gods I'm going to we're going to end this right now and it was very reminiscent to me of that Patriots fourth and two years ago at Indy where Belichick's like, I'm not giving Peyton Manning a chance to drive down the field against us. I'm going to end this now with my best guys on the field. And if you're Andy Reid, yeah, Chad Hetty isn't your best guy, but Tyreek Hill is certainly up there Yeah, and you're going to give him a chance to make a play. So yeah, I mean, just and a bit of redemption for two head-scratching decisions, which is letting Hetty throw it deep earlier in the game and then the speed option with Mahomes when he got hurt.
0: Yeah, and at the same time too, those two coaches that you mentioned, they have tenure, and nope. no one's going to fire them over this. Nope. and nope. and I wish that more teams, more organizations looked at that and didn't just say, "Well, that's because it's Andy Reid and Bill Belichick." Maybe if you, maybe if you had an environment where you empowered your coaches and your coaches weren't scared to death about making real decisions, you know, and not just playing it safe to cover their ass. So that they can keep their salary. You know, you might have Boulder football an, out there. An
1: interesting name to fold into this discussion is Doug Peterson. Because I think Doug Peterson is another coach that, look, he has the edge analytics guys in his headset telling them, you know, go or not. He's another guy that might have said, let's go forward in that situation. Um, you know, but now he's not a head coach anymore. Yeah. Because um, you see an organization sort of giving up on a guy.
0: Yeah, very and true. And I think
1: there were other – power struggle issues and play there that seem to sort of play their cards in that season finale for Philadelphia, but
0: for sure, for sure. So what are your thoughts on the Jets hiring Robert Sala and their new offensive coordinator? I absolutely love this. Um, First of all, I think he's a
1: tremendous coach. Um, I hope people get a chance to see sort of the clinic presentation he gave. The NFL actually tweeted it out right after this hire was made, but he talked about assembling a coach and staff. I think it's must watch if you're a football fan, if you're a Jets fan, if you're a human being. Um, I, I think it's tremendous. I think the staff that he's starting to put together, with obviously a LaFleur as your offensive coordinator, you know what that offense is going to look like outside zone, boot action, McVeigh, Shanahan, Stefansky type of tree. I think a huge move was you now John Benton, who's now going to be their run game coordinator, offensive line coach, Brendan Hem with him from San Francisco. I would highly recommend, I tweeted it out on Monday, Jets fans to watch the outside zone clinic that he did. It's out on YouTube. It's an hour long. It's worth every second of it if you want to learn outside zone. What does this tell me? Sam Donald might not want to put that place on the market. Sam Darnold might still be your Jets quarterback because this, they're building what looks to me, Matt, to be an offense that is quarterback friendly, prop them up. Don't ask him to do a ton. Mayfield esque, obviously in the same class, Makai Becton on the outside zone, getting to the edge. Like good luck being a corner in that good luck being a four safety, trying to run downhill with that guy coming at you on outside zone. Um, the Jets were a team last year with Adam Gase abandoned on the inside way too many times when you've got a guy that size that can get out of the space like he does. Do um, you, you look at what they might do at two now? Maybe they trade out of it if they keep Donald. Maybe they stay there and draft somebody. So many options available to them. I, I think this could be a, a sort of home run hire if they approach these things the right way. Now, they could obviously go in a different direction. They could trade for Watson. They could draft a quarterback, whatever. But so far, this is telling me, look, they're going to try to run this with Sam Darnold and try to prop him up and build
0: around him rather than tearing it down and rebuilding it. I agree completely. And I have one name for you to watch for the NFL draft who I would love to see picked on maybe day two, um, early day two or late day two Trey sermon, Ohio state (laughs) running back. Um
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about, prospects and he, I've, I've got a bunch that I've been watching for the senior bowl and he's a name that I was at least going to mention but I'm so go no I'll shut up now go no go please
0: on. by all means and I'm I'm doing a second film room on him because I watched him again this weekend after he compiled about 500 yards in two games um, with Ohio State <laughs> I he was one of my top rated running backs going into the season that has not changed at all. It might have bumped him up a little bit even more because this is a dynamic running back. I think of all the running backs in college football right now, I think he ha- is the savviest with movement skills. You know, you know the types of cuts he makes, the way he opens his hips, the curvy linear movement, the ability to stop, start. Um, he can make small and big adjustments, and he has um, – fantastic balance and pad level and he's got more burst than people realize this is a guy that beats safeties around the short corner acc level safeties around the short corner he's not just outrunning you know northwestern's guys but he's out running clemson guys um and there's some big holes in that ohio state tape to, to watch but it's not the holes that you should be watching it's really his movement skills that, uh, that really translate well to what he'll do in the NFL. And he's doing the same things at Ohio State that he was doing at Oklahoma before yep. he got hurt. And he's a heck of a receiver, and he can block. Um, so putting him in a place like New York where they run the outside zone, this is a guy who can really do that well, and he could be a bell cow for you. And you could probably get him and get a second rookie, you know, probably on day three that can be a compliment to you and and be in great shape. I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, what about Travis Etienne or what about Najee Harris? And those are two really strong prospects. But I think the best fit for a team like the Jets would be a guy like Sermon. Like I would, I would be pounding the table for that guy. So I, I'm with you. I hope that they keep Sam Darnold. I think it would be a great fit for him. I still think there's something left within him to salvage, and they can really they can really build with this team. And I think the biggest thing they salvaged is they got rid of Gase. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. that's that's the thing. I mean, G- Gase did him no favors whatsoever, and I think that Sam Darnold is going to get a chance to really, um, you know, maybe kind of get a Ryan Tannehill type of rebound in his in his game and yep. they're they're gonna do a lot to help that out. Yep. So so let's move down south a little bit and talk about Fred Smith's um lineage of yep. of, of FedEx, Arthur Smith, aka Hank Hill, apparently to some people <laughs> on Twitter. Um so what <laughs> what do we think about Arthur Smith coaching in Atlanta?
1: I you know similar to the discussion we just had, I I think this is a runway for the final arc of Matt Ryan's career. I I, I think this is the glide path to Ryan being in that sort of Ryan Tannehill offense. You know, you're going to get opportunities out of 12 personnel, RPO post-snap reads Calvin Ridley on a glance route, Julio Jones on the deep out. If you don't like the run front, look, pull it, throw to either one of those guys. Just keep the chains moving. I, I think it's a nice opportunity for the Falcons to, Kind of split the baby in half because a lot of Atlanta fans are like, We got to draft a quarterback at four and we got to start over. Or a lot of them are saying, Look, we got to just make a last run here. Let's load up around Matt Ryan. You could do both now, I think. You could draft your guy at four. If you've got a, a guy that you like, whether it's Fields, whether it's Lance, whether it's Wilson, that you like, draft him at four, but you've got a chance to still run this for another year or two with Matt Ryan in this offense. I, th- I I think there's a window, there's a way to sort of extend the current window because this is a team that got better, you know, after they fired Dan Quinn, they got better. They lost a lot of close games, obviously week 16 against the chiefs. Like we talked about earlier. I think there's a window to sort of put our offense together that Matt Ryan could still be very effective in, but bridge that to the future with a quarterback you might want to draft at four. I was watching some Matt Ryan tape um, just this week to get ready for – w- I was seeing what some teams did against Tampa Bay, and that brought me to a lot of Atlanta-Tampa Bay games. And he has he had this one-throw, Matt, on a two-man flood concept of that deep out route to Calvin Ridley under pressure, off of play action that was probably a 35-yard throw, just in an absolute shoebox. Like, he could still make these throws. Um, there's still a – couple of good years left for Matt Ryan. So there's a way to do both here. And I think this Arthur Smith hire is a window into how they're going to try to do
0: that. I'll just put it to you this way. If, um, if a Marvin Jones or a Robert Woods or a receiver with really excellent perimeter route skills and ankle breaking type of breaks um, was playing in um, Atlanta and could win in tight coverage. Cause Calvin Ridley doesn't win in tight coverage unless it's a vertical route. He right. gets when he gets hit, he loses the ball sometimes. He's a tough guy, but that's not his thing. He's not a Roddy White like. But you watch those Matt Ryan Roddy White type of plays from, you know, 7 8 years ago and it was those shoebox throws were like a regular thing. 3rd yeah. and 17, 3rd and 24, and it was like, are you kidding me? Roddy White's double covered and he still put it where only White could catch it. And I think that He could so I'm with you on that front. Now, when I think about what you just laid out there, I think it's a great point. You do draft that quarterback. You've you've got you let them sit behind Ryan, who I strikes me as a guy who will teach. Yeah. Matt Ryan will teach. Matt Ryan will be a great mentor for another a, a young player. And then on top of it, you get a free agent or you draft a young running back if you can get one in the second round. Um, and you get rid of this whole mess of Todd Gurley, who you know, listen, man, he has good moments, and he certainly produced for Atlanta, but he's not the same player. So, yeah. and and Brian Hill and Brian Hill and Ido Smith are are reserve guys; they're not going to do anything that exciting for you. And I don't think I think honestly, Kadri Allison can probably give you surprisingly as much, if not more, if you let him. Um, so I would... I, mean, I would. this might
1: be the ETN Harris spot at the top of the second, if yeah. one of those guys slips to day two.
0: It could very well be one of those guys. And if it isn't, Aaron Jones in Atlanta would be such a great fit for that offense. Yeah. Um, the only issue with that is if they want to pound the heck out of the ball, they might be afraid of that he's already been used a lot. At this stage and they might be afraid of what that would mean but to, but on, on paper aaron jones would be great no, but, that's great so all right so the combine with that effectively canceled and now they're going to have lots of regional stuff probably for us to find times yeah. um, and measurements is the senior bowl more important now and if it is who is it more important for
1: I mean, a couple of things on the combine. One, it's it stinks that it's getting canceled because now I don't have an excuse to go out to Indianapolis and eat at St. Elmo's. I'll just have to order their you know, shrimp cocktail sauce by the gallon like I've already done. <laughs> um, you can find <laughs> it on Amazon, kids. Although, I will also say some Harris Teeters do carry it. Um, oh. Because when I got back from the combine last year, I ordered the whole St. Elmo's like – horseradish cocktail sauce. And I was like, oh, this is great. I was putting tweets out when the package came. And then I had to run to the local Harris Teeter and there it is in the fish department. Same thing. So just like, I I paid for all the shipping there. kids. That's great.
0: Um, You should have just ordered from Cat's Deli, I think, then instead. That's where you could get the thing that you ain't going to get anywhere else. Yeah.
1: I was thinking with the, the, talk about the Cedar Bowl, I actually looked last night to see if I could get Saucy Q shipped because there's a part of me that was like, you know, it'd be nice to look. I look, Saucy Q's is doing good business, I'm sure, but I mean, it'd be nice to like show them a little love since we spent so yes. much time down there. Um, and we, we, won't, there's not going to be that influx of chuckleheads like us spending an entire afternoon just ordering Hush Puppies left and right. Um, <laughs> but if you are making the trip to the Senior Bowl and you haven't gone to Saucy Q's, please go. Um, they do such great business there, such a great place. Um, as for the combine though, I, I think it's, it's definitely the senior bowl now is hugely important because it's the only showcase event now. Yeah. You have, you know, other, like there's the college gridiron showcase that's going on this week. Um, but you don't have that event where like everybody's there and they're there to evaluate you. And it's a level play in field, measure and stick type of thing. Like if they're going to do this with like, you know, pro days being pseudo combines, like that's putting guys on friendly footing, you know. It's one thing when you're running your forty at like your track at school. It's another thing when it's like at Indy. Um, so the senior bowl is now that like uniform, measuring stick kind of event. And I think for a player like say Mac Jones, this is an opportunity to show that like you can function outside of the Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith type of environment, thrown to guys that are wide open. For a guy like say Kadarius Tony. Um, the Florida wide receiver. I think this is a great environment for him, you know, to show that he can sort of separate from consistent good coverage type receivers. He can put some good tested numbers out there. And I think it's an opportunity for a guy like Devonta Smith to have those sit down FaceTime meetings with teams that could be picking him in the top five, top six, top seven of this draft, even though he's not going to be working out because of a thumb injury. It's still a chance to have those crucial meetings with teams that say a Jamar chase isn't going to get at the combine. And so that might really sort of help him. And sort of the wide receiver draft class. So I think the senior bowl is now critically important. I think Jim Nagy has done a tremendous job, but sort of recruiting top talent. I mean, to get the Heisman trophy winner to come down, to get Mac Jones to come down. I think that's huge for them. So I think, yeah, the senior bowl is just, it's hugely important this year. Um, and some guys are really going to be happy that they decided to go um with the combine being canceled.
0: Yeah. I wish I could go, but yeah. I just can't imagine I just can't imagine going in today's pandemic environment. I know some people are and you know I wish them to be safe. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, when I look at this roster of of players, there are a lot of players where, you know, I just you just see the pattern over and over again, especially with the receivers. Some of them are guys that they're they're guys that got invited because teams want a better look at them because they really didn't do anything in their careers. Um, so those guys are just hoping to get drafted later, signed as free agents. Um, Cornell Powell, I think, is probably one of those guys. Um, I, I would imagine um, from what I've seen. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm just like completely off there. But I, I don't. Re- I guess I probably haven't watched enough of him uh, at Clemson to know. I just think of Amari Rogers as the headliner there. So yeah. yeah. But um, but then you know I look at some guys who could really help themselves, and I think. Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan is the classic guy who will likely be considered a late-round guy, but maybe yeah. could solidify himself as you know, an early you know, day-five guy or maybe creep up to the fourth round with a really strong week. And this is a guy that's got the speed to burn. He was a former cornerback. He is a ferocious competitor. Um, and I like his route running. I think that there's... There's some stuff to see there with him that's going to be fun. Austin Watkins, Sammy Watkins' relation um, out of UAB, a guy who also really plays well. He leaves his feet a little too often as a receiver, but you see some things with his game that I think, um, you know, physicality. um, I think that this is a guy that, you know, is going to be interesting on that level to see. What he can put together for you know for folks, Amari Rogers and Tillon Wallace are guys who are going to solidify whether or not they're early picks. You know I think you know second or third round type of players, or whether they're going to be fourth or fifth round guys that drop and people are like, wow, you got a steal or you got a potential bargain out of that out of that mix. Racy McGrath is a good example of one of those guys I talked about also, who's like kind of on the back end there. But guys that I'm most intrigued of. You know, you 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 were going to mention Trey Sermon. Certainly, he's great, but I don't. I'm not worried about him at all, other than just him staying healthy. But um, Ramondre Stevenson, I've talked about him yeah. before. Yeah. I would love to go down and see him play. Larry Roundtree, I think has a. You know, he and Michael Carter. This is a very good running back group. Probably one of the best running back groups I've seen. On a Senior Bowl roster in some time um, doesn't mean that it's one of the best classes of running backs, but you know when I look at the combination of Stevenson, Sermon, Michael Carter out of North Carolina, yeah. and Larry Roundtree and Kylan Hill, um, you know that's pretty darn good. And I think Khalil Herbert is isn't a slouch either, um, out of you know out of uh, Virginia Tech who used to play at Kansas. Um, those are some really intriguing guys, but Stevenson to me might be one of the best running backs in this class that few people are talking about. And I think he's going to, I think that he's going to impress some people with his ability to move and catch the football. We're going to see a lot more of that though. You know, a lot of these guys in this, in this group there are that way. So yeah, those are some guys that come to mind right off the bat.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm very excited for Stevenson. Um, I think this could be a huge week for him.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So who's someone you've been studying over the past 7 to 10 days? And tell us about what you what you think.
1: Well, um, I, I starting to get ready for the senior ball, obviously. Um, a, a guy that I've seen a little bit of um, that is in that class of players I'd love to be able to go down and see in person is Quinn Myers, the offensive tackle from Wisconsin Whitewater, a Division three kid, um Jim Nagy has done a great job of sort of finding um small school talent last year was Ben Barts, the kid from um St. John's you know the milkshake guy um got himself drafted by the Jaguars um showed that he could play when he was down to the senior bowl he could play at that high level um this guy might be better um Owen Reese who was a assistant at Wisconsin Whitewater he's on Twitter at Reese Draft you know, he's told me look this guy is absolutely legit he's a monster um, so I got a chance to watch him and he is, I mean, he's what you want to see from a small school kid, particularly up front is just dominating up front, you know, just physically manhandling people, uh, being a dominant force. And that's what he was both in the run game and the pass game. Um, so I'm very sort of hopeful that he's going to have a good week and I'm excited to see some of the film that we get from him. Kadarius Tony, the Florida kid, the wide receiver, my God. ah, oh, my, when you were talking earlier about Atlanta, like that's the first name that popped into my head. I mean, imagine him with Jones on one side, Calvin Ridley on the other, using him as that slot gadget, change of direction, offensive weapon type. Some of the change of direction stuff I get the chance to see over the past, you know, two days studying him. My God, Matt. I mean, I don't know how his angles hold up some <laughs> of those moves he was making yeah. in space. I mean, he's just an offensive weapon. I mean, he's somebody you draft. I mean, he's probably a first-rounder, especially if he has a great week down to Mobile. So he probably, you know, unless Atlanta goes crazy and drafts him at four, I don't think they're getting him. But, you know, he's somebody like if you're Jacksonville and you go Lawrence at one and you get going to pick at 18, you know, putting Tony, Chark, Chenault around Lawrence with James Robinson in the backfield, that's a pretty darn good offense. Um, so he's somebody I'm excited to see. You know, you mentioned Trey Sermon. Um, we got a chance to of we him like you did, talking about the sort of playoff run that he had. Outside zone, I think would be a perfect fit for him, you know. But then there's Trey Lance. I, I did a video on him um, that went up over Touchdown Wire, my USA, my YouTube channel. Um, there, there, there's still reason to be excited about this kid, especially when I watched his game against South Dakota from 2019. And if you remember, Matt, this past summer we said, "Oh man, imagine him in a Kyle Shanahan offense. It, it would be great, right? He, he could he could be the best quarterback in their room right now." And then to see him hit on a touchdown on wide leak, which is a Shanahan staple with that throwback element. It was one of those, I like, put the pen down moments. Like I don't need to watch this anymore. I just, he's not, if, if, if he's on the board, when Shanahan picks, just start, don't start to pre-write the thing right now. Cause that's Shanahan's not going to let this kid get past him. So, I mean, those are some of the guys I've been watching recently. What
0: about you? Well, I love, I'm going to start with a note about Trey Lance. Cause I had a conversation with um, our mutual friend, Dan Hatman. uh, I know exactly,
1: because I had the same conversation. So go ahead.
0: Okay, there you go. So I'll I'll get a chance to leak it, though. I know you knew it then. Is that they basically, he's getting a chance to do some work for various coaches around the league um, with the business that they're starting. And um, so he got a chance to see some install of their offense. And basically what has come out, is that when you see any criticism about Trey Lance, that he won't go deep, he won't attack downfield, and that he's always checking it to the fullback or to the tight end, well, that's because the coaching staff has basically made the fullback the number one priority. Like, basically, fullback one, tight end two, downfield three. So when you think, so watch, know that, and then go back and watch... Mark's and my film room and Mark's tape. When you watch Mark's tape from this week and then go and and watch both those. And when you see the big time throws that he makes, you know, down the field, in spite of the fact that it's demanded of him to look to the fullback first on so many of these reads, um, that should tell you that he's not, uh, he's not the guy that he's going to be painted as. Yeah. And as a result of that, someone's going to get a value. Um, Uh, they're going to get a really good value. And,
1: and, and Matt, are there any coaches that like to throw out of 21 personnel that might have a dynamic fullback type player that's a good receiver? Oh, gee,
0: gee, I don't know. Somewhere in the Bay Area. And I think if that guy misses out, there's somebody across the Bay that would love to do the same exact thing and might decide that, you know, this Mariota, maybe we don't want Mariota, maybe we don't want Carr. Maybe we want this Lance kid after all, you know, but, uh, yeah, I think he's a, he'd be a great fit there. So yeah.
1: Yeah. If you're going to do a piece or an article or a video didn't trade Lance for checking it down to the fullback don't because that's what he's asked to do. They, their structure is read short deep, And so the other thing, when you see him taking some of these deep shots late in the play, that's him getting to his third or fourth read kids. Yeah. That's got him locking on to with a deep throw first. That's him making his progression read, saying fullback's not there, tight end's not there. I'm going to take this deep shot. That might be his third read on a play.
0: Yeah. So the very underrated little nugget there that yep. you get if you if you are still here listening to this right now, you just got a great little nugget that's going yep. to that will definitely show up around April. Um, but when you know players for the Senior Bowl. Or not players for players that uh You've that recently. I've studied recently. Sean Byer, someone I've been studying today. He's a tight end out of um out of Iowa that George Kittle said he can really move, and uh, he's had some really nice highlight reel level catches. Um, you know, one handers way over his head, taking a hit when he comes down. Um, some plays where he's able to track the ball over his shoulder and drag his feet. Inside the boundary, works free of safeties. Seems to be able to beat safeties tight one on one down the field. Um, he was a former big-time wide receiver who they thought was going to be the next in line of you know the of Fant and you know uh, our buddy in Detroit that for some reason I can't remember yeah. his name, which is so Hawkinson. funny. Hawkinson, which yeah. most people know how high I was on him, but I can't remember his name right now. Um, but those two guys, and then but they were like he was kind of slow to gain weight. So he's only about 245, but he's 6'5", 245. Um, and he can block. You know, you got to block in Iowa. He's a better blocker than Noah Fant. I'll tell you that much. Um, and I think that he's he's an interesting player. Um, other guys that I've seen this week that, that I'd probably want to talk about, um, you know, wow. Um, you know, just looking at the Look at, you know, Watkins was certainly one of those guys. Eskridge, we talked about him already. Um, you know, I think I'm a big Amari Rodgers fan. And watching that guy just go up and win the football, what he can do after the catch, um, you know, really interested in, in what I've seen, interesting stuff from what I've seen there. Um, but, and then a guy that I I guess I, I really spent a lot of time watching this weekend was Jaquan Hardy out of Tiffin. This mm. is a guy who is a, a running back, about 5'10", Um He had a meniscus tear. About 80% of his meniscus was pretty much torn, and doctors told him he might not be able to play again. Um, but he's, he's played rather well. And now Tiffin, of course, is not the... Uh, you know, the hotbed of, of football. But at the same time, this guy can catch. He has really good hips, ability to change direction. He has high effort, strong, great stiff arm location. Um, maybe tries a little too hard to, to, to bounce plays and make the second or third effort that he shouldn't. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see if he can get a camp invite because I don't think he doesn't have long speed um so i think for him he's the type of guy that is fighting for a roster spot more than being a fantasy factor but he could surprise so uh, uh, you know just that's a guy that i spent a lot of time watching this weekend i spent a lot of time watching guys this weekend that probably are they're going to be in the rsp that are probably going to be on the lower end of my rankings but yeah. th- some of them are interesting so listen we've been talking good about the senior bowl so what's your funniest senior bowl story that you can what? tell
1: yeah that's the qualifier that i could tell and the only reason i could tell this one is because he talked about it recently on the timeline and this was 2017 senior bowl um Vietz, where all bad things happen um late in the night Arif hassan gets accosted by some random inebriated person about a reef's disdain for carson wentz and it got to the point where this guy was basically trying to challenge Arif to a fist fight outside of V's when we were sort of handed outside because somebody we were with was outside smoking her cigarette. And Arifs just kind of like just brushed this guy off. And this guy's like really sort of getting animated about it. And then Arif tries to loop me into this conversation, and I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. And so we ended up sort of like just like sneaking back into beats and like losing this guy because he couldn't figure out how to get back in to the bar. That's how intoxicated he was. So that was a pretty funny story, only to be topped by a couple of years ago. um, Michael Kist used to have, as his Twitter profile picture, a picture of him from his wedding day in the talk, sort of like looking up while there's like a sunset behind him. And Rob Wozniak, who's a, a fantasy guy, um, I, I forget where he does work for, but he's really good at sort of like predictions and, you know, getting things right. Like he, he's always scoring like extremely high on a lot of the sort of like fantasy, like you projections. Drove like over the night to come down from the Midwest to get to Mobile, to get to Vids because he had to give Michael something. And it was a T-shirt he had made of Michael Kiss using that profile picture of him sort of looking up lawningly, but he's looking at the entrance to Vets, so it's Michael like superimposed on the front of Vets on a T-shirt, and it was one of the most glorious things I've ever seen. So I think those are two of my favorite Senior Bowl stories. What
0: about you, Matt? I've got two. Um, the first one was being at a being at the the media night and interviewing people, which I no longer do. I haven't done in probably a good six seven years now. I think, but. One of the last ones I went to for sure, I remember that I was sitting there listening to a reporter from an Alabama newspaper, local newspaper, who clearly had come from the home and garden section and had to like do some sports stuff, who was asking Kevin Norwood, the wide receiver, um, what he thought he was going to run the combine. What do you think you're going to run a 4-7? And Norwood said, I hope not. And he's like, what do you mean? That's fast. You know, so while that's going on, I look at, I look across the way and there's one Cecil Lammy sitting in his chair across from one Russell Wilson. And this is just after Tim Tebow had um, won a playoff game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and then lost big time to the Patriots. But Tebow mania was in full throttle. And there's Russell, who had a pretty nondescript senior bowl. Nobody was talking about him. He was just kind of doing what he does, um, you know, in a practice, which is, you know, rolling out, throwing the ball, being fairly accurate. But it's just, you know, nothing, nothing major going on there from the quarterbacks. And Cecil is talking to him. And next thing I know, I see Russell Wilson bolt out of his chair. And he put his hands behind his back as if like, you know, you're watching a South Park bro-down about to ensue. And Cecil stands up along with them. And they're kind of like, you know, not chest-to-chest, but like one more step away from that. And Wilson, I mean, he bolted up pretty quick when he did. He like got up and did that, and he looked serious. And then you saw him catch himself and just kind of smile and get back into character, that cool, calm, collected, you know, nothing bothers me, gee whiz, I'm a leader among men, tom cruise interview well maybe tom cruise in interview was the exact opposite type yeah. of thing so and he's just you know calm and everything and he and cecil talk and then they end it so i'm like what the heck was that like i noticed i mean it really looked like for a minute russell wilson wanted to kick cecil's ass so yeah. so we get out of the hangar where it used to be you know at that time and we get in the car and i'm like what did you say to russell wilson and Cecil starts laughing. He goes, you caught that? And I was like, yeah, I was sitting, I was like back 10 yards away from you. And he looked like he, he got up to challenge you. And he said, yeah, I noticed that too. I wonder if anybody else did. I was, What'd you ask him? He goes, I said, well, you know, being a Denver Broncos, you know, beat writer, I said, how would he like, um, how would he feel about being drafted by the Broncos to back up Tim Tebow? And, and Russell Wilson apparently, he shot up like that, caught himself, and then he smiled and said, I don't intend to be anyone's backup in the NFL.
1: Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's the first, I heard this one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. So that's the, that's the first one that I thought was kind of funny, but the funniest story by far, the funniest thing that's ever happened. And I still try, I still have to contain my laughter is that, Cecil and Gene and I make an, an effort to go to Ruth Chris probably like one night a week, one of those nights just after everything's over before we drive back, um, and we've kind of made that a mini tradition. Well, one of those years we went, and Cecil's talking about some of the assignments he's had at this at the Super Bowl and that the Super Bowl, you know, Super Bowl's coming up and the whole media area and how much of a um a crazy mess it all is and how chaotic it can. It can be on, you know, media row, um, you know, for media days where everybody's walking through there. And, you know, he's talking about a time where he had to set everything up and they're, they're having some sort of setup issues between him and some of the people that he was working with. And the, the logistics were, were challenging. And he mentioned um, Jim Miller, the quarterback for the Chicago Bears, former quarterback, Chicago Bears, who's on Sirius Network. And Jim had gained some weight. And so Jim, he was talking about, he starts talking about Jim Miller and he said, Jim Miller, who of course looked like he ate Jim Miller and and said this uh, and was saying this about him. Next thing you know, I look up and Gene looks up and Gene looks at Cecil and goes, I, isn't that Jim Miller over there? And standing, sitting at the bar, like three tables, of maybe about, 10 yards away from earshot of Cecil, who was rather loud saying this. Cecil, like, gives a quick peek. And staring at us with daggers is Jim Miller and Pat Kerwan. Oh, God. (laughs) Pat Kerwan of take your eye off the ball thing. Well, they start to... Cecil's just... I mean, the color just drains from Cecil's face. And I'm just trying not to laugh because it's just like... (laughs) It's just too great that he sat sat there and said this, and then Pat said Pat. They walk out like five minutes later, and Pat walks on. And he says, "Maybe, maybe the maybe the guy who said something the effect of like the comment about Jim Miller. Maybe they should meet us out in the parking lot." So <laughs> and walks out. So we're. We're laughing because by the time we finish our meal and get out there, we're making, Jean and I are making jokes about Cecil about how are we going to have to like, are we going to have to have an anchorman style um rumble Lumble. with yeah. Pat Kerwan and the guy who ate Jim Miller and like, <laughs> yeah, but the whole night, I mean, and Cecil told this one on the air, but for years Cecil, Cecil didn't, you know, he said, and of course, we asked him, he go, you're gonna see him in the Super Bowl next week, he goes, Oh yeah. And in but of course, as the universe would have it, he was stationed right next to him right next on to him. radio oh. row. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. But uh and and I, he was getting the, the stink eye pretty much for the next couple of years.
1: I did forget one that I want to tell quickly. Okay. Um two years ago, um, went with a group to Dauphines, which is this restaurant in one of the high rises beautiful restaurant. I've been there now two years in a row. Last year we rolled like, I think, 16 deep. We had like two huge tables. But the first year we went, we walk in. restaurant's pretty empty. But you've got a table of Raiders scouts in one section. And then we get seated sort of between them. And then in a different section, just over like my left shoulder, there's Mike Mayock, John Gruden, and like Gruden's dad. Okay, wow. it's just like the fourth, so they're they're separated from the scouts. It's like the kids' table and then the adults' table. And so this was like shortly after Gruden came back from coaching. And so we had the great idea we were going to send over a round of Coronas to Gruden's table, right? Because he was doing those Corona commercials. But then the waitress comes back and she's like, "They're they're not drinking. They're not drinking beer tonight. They're drinking wine. Like you you probably shouldn't want to." So I'm like, "All right, we'll send over a bottle of what they're drinking. Like they'll be fine. You know, it's probably." Waitress comes back and she's like, do you want to pay for a bottle of wine that has a comma? And I'm like, no, you're, you're right. I don't. Thank you, though. So, yeah, I mean, I, I give credit to that waitress for, like, saving us from some pretty embarrassing moments of both sending over a round of Corotis to John Groot and and then, you know, trying to order a <laughs> bottle of wine that we have no business paying for. Because, you know, I'm there with, like, some, like, kids that are, like, graduate assistants at some schools and things like that. We weren't going to, like, we weren't scratching that kind of scratch together. So, yeah.
0: So So did you give her a nice big tip for, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah. took we,
1: the, she saved us, so we took care of her. Believe me, but yeah, I thought that was a, a good one too.
0: Yeah, me and Bloom met Gruden on an elevator at the first draft we attended in in back in two thousand nine. Um, all we just said was "Hey, Coach," but that was about it. But it was just the three yeah. of us in the elevator. Um, but uh, but uh, you know, there was a part of me wanted to say, "Yeah, you and Woodson got screwed," but you know, up
1: <laughs> the Tucker rule. Yeah. yeah.
0: What was your most memorable senior bowl conversation with a player or coach or scout or, or colleague? Any? Um,
1: you know, I've had a couple of really good ones with players, with quarterbacks um, over the time I've been down there. Um, I, 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 think, I think, honestly, two that really sort of stood out, uh, Trace McSorley, you know, talking to him, um, a lot of people didn't think he should have even been there that senior bowl year. Um, but I was sort of impressed with sort of the the, the competitive toughness that he had when I talked to him. But I think my favorite over the years was actually Ryan Finley. Um, and Finley's a really smart kid. Like he got his degree from Boise state before he even left that campus, got a master's or he might've even got like a double master's when he was at NC state like a super smart kid that like can honestly probably do whatever he wants in life. But I was talking to him about like route concepts and beating different coverages. And he talked about one of the route concepts they ran at NC state where you had the, the peel on the outside with a post and a wheel. And then number three runs a deep out. You're trying to get number three matched up against a linebacker, in man covered situations or in zone coverage situations. Um, and like this week I'm doing some stuff on what the Packers might run and how teams have defended him. And then you see that route concept and with Devontae Adams running that out route as the number three. Uh, but he was talking about how they got guys like Jacoby Myers and others, uh, I forget who the wide receiver was, uh, the NC State wide receiver that year too. They were trying to get those guys isolated on the number three. Um, Kevin Harmon. Kevin Harmon. Yeah. Um, so he's just you just tell that like he's a really smart kid. And then you see him going out against the Steelers on Monday night football and running similar concepts and doing those things. Um, you know, that was a really fun conversation. So that was me. What about you? Um,
0: I I've had a few, certainly, um, DeMarco Murray was really one of the more fun conversations. He was a smart guy. He was humble. He was someone who, um, really detailed what it meant to have to kind of make the adjustment from being one type of a back to a more efficient style of runner that he had to become due to injuries. Um, so he was fascinating. Marvin Jones was one of the most memorable conversations just because he was a guy that I saw as junior tape and he was so good um, as a deep threat and then as a senior, or as a sophomore, and then as a junior and senior with Keenan Allen on the team, he was more of a possession guy and everybody said he couldn't get deep because they only watched his senior tape and then he was just destroying everyone in drills, going in press man drills, going deep. And so I made a beeline for him, and he talked a lot about how he worked with Cal's cornerbacks, some of them who went, went on to play in Denver and, and a few other teams as press man and how he worked on press man every day from the time he was a freshman until he was a senior. Um, and that was really enlightening. But probably the most um, – and some of the more memorable ones also were shy players, like um, Garrett Blunt was shy because he had knocked out the Boise State player. right? Um, Bilal Powell was shy because he had an incident in – in high school where he was you know he was involved in gang activity and then kind of really changed his life and he was just very reticent um, to talk but then when he opened up he was he was fun to talk to but probably the most memorable was I, I was interviewing different players to do a series on wide receiver play where i did this kind of round table and i asked all these receivers about different techniques and things and while I was kind of explaining what I was doing with my concept, there was a player there who looked like he was a defensive end. He kind of was built like an outside linebacker defensive end. I'd, he looked familiar, but I don't, you know, I'm studying skill players, so I, I couldn't picture the name with the face um, or the, the face, and I didn't see his, his badge. Um, so he was kidding with me and kind of teased me about what I, the little preamble I was giving because I said something like, "Yeah, I'm just want to ask you about football. I'm not trying to find out your deepest, darkest secrets." And he's like, "You don't want to know my deepest, darkest secret?" And and I started laughing and I said, "Well, I said, I mean, you know, I'm not Oprah, but if you want to tell me, you know, I'm, you know, you can tell me if you want to. Um, but, you know, that that's up to you." And he looked at me and he kind of tilted his head and then he smiled and he said, "No, nah, I think I'll wait." You know, and then we talked a little bit and, and, and he was funny. He was like really engaging, very smart, very witty, um, guy. And then I left, you know, after we had, he and I ended up having a conversation, just shooting the shit. And then, um, I left and I was like, they were like, anybody interesting you talk to? I said, probably the most interesting guy I talked to was a, is looks like probably a defensive end or outside linebacker. I don't know his name. I'll have to look up the roster and see if I can find the name with the face. It was Michael Sam and it was, oh. and it was right before Michael Sam, um, came up. Oh. And, you know, so you think about him saying, so do you, you want to know my deepest, darkest secret, or you don't want to know my deepest, darkest secret. Yeah. And his whole team knew, you know, but, but, you know, and, and I said, well, if you want to tell me, he was never going to tell me. He wasn't going right. to break that kind of story with some piddly ass guy, you know, with a badge at the, at, at you know, in that kind of event. But it was funny that he was toying about it, knowing what he knew inside. Yeah. He was having fun in that moment with that whole moment, knowing what was about to happen down the line. And he, wow. w- yeah. So that was pretty memorable. Cause when he came out, I actually told that story on my blog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have a couple, couple more and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, what, what's your stance on, prospects with arrest records or, you know, do you, you know, as, as some, I know that you weren't a criminal lawyer, but at the same time, you, you know, what are your thoughts about guys like Tyree kill Joe Mixon, um, DD Westbrook players who've, you know, or, you know, or any range of, of behaviors that, that, you know, Jameis Winston, you know, yeah. what, I mean, you-
1: I, I, I think, you know, we use the word context a lot in the evaluation space. And I think this is another area where the context of the situation has to be, you know, looked into, has to be, you know, d- debated and discussed and evaluated. Um, you know, not all incidents, not all arrests are the same. You know, somebody that has a drunken public because they're at a party. You know, that's one thing. Somebody that assaults somebody else, somebody that assaults a woman, somebody that, know does something that's beyond um is a different thing and you know i i think in the terms of what we do on the outside um you should factor that in sort of the maturity sort of evaluations part of it um but we can only do so much because we're probably not going to get the chance to sit down with these guys and like clear on ask them like what happened you know how do you feel about it now like what are your thoughts on this going forward how have you sort of made yourself a better human being or have you made yourself a better human being in the wake of that um i think it's also a post-draft evaluation process that you have to go through for the work that we do because if you see a player that has a bit of a checkered past or has an incident like this and you've looked at the incident itself and maybe tried to Theorize what that means, what that might mean for where this person is in their life right now, and then you see them go to an an environment where you know that there's a strong foundation, a strong locker room, like they go to an organization where there's strong ownership, a strong presence of presence of the coaching staff, continuity, consistency, the same people year in and year out, like say a Baltimore or a New England or these organizations where you have that, you might feel better about them sort of being in an environment to move beyond that, whereas you could see them not being in a suitable environment for that in some other locker rooms. And so I I think context is key to all of this. You know, I think there are some incidents where, you know, if you're assaulting a pregnant woman, for example, you might literally just want to say, look, I just, I can't go there. I I, I can't go there and get on board with this person from an evaluation standpoint. Like, yes, the talent is there. um, But for what I do, you know, I'm just, I'm out on this person. Um, And for those that sort of take that stance, I more than understand it. Um, because we're dealing with human beings here and not everybody's an angel and there are going to be people that make mistakes. And if they've made mistakes like that in the past, you might want to look at them and say, I'm not so sure I can get on board with them not making that same mistake in the future. But, you know, you don't want to rule out people, um, you know, because these are many instances, 19, 20, 21 year old kids that make mistakes. Um, and you don't want to sort of write them off. You don't want to cancel them. Like you talked about at the start of the show. But there are some instances some incidents some acts that might make that harder to do
0: yeah and i agree with that and i think that uh you know i think that was so well stated uh, to, to me i think it comes down to that if um what's good for the goose is good for the gander type of thing well you know in the public in, in outside of football there are certainly people who have been who have you know, committed crimes or have been arrested for crimes that's, that, as well. And that still have their jobs, still have careers, still thrive, still have the opportunity to be able to grow past whatever they've done. Um, and they're a lot older. Um, so I, I just look at it as some of the things for me, it's about, it's more important as a team, whether you think that person has room for growth and can be an asset to your organization with, um, and and to me an asset in your organization isn't just strictly on the field, but also that they aren't gonna be a problem off of it. They aren't gonna be a problem in your community, that you're not going to have both the the problem of having to um, account for that person's absence because of behaviors that they have, um, or that you are giving them an additional license for bad behavior, even though really you you could say you're enabling them, but at the same time, they're grown men at this point, they can enable them themselves. They're going to, you know, whether it's with, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's with a smaller budget or a larger budget, if they have that behavior, they're still going to engage in it. You know, it's not like, it's not like all criminals who do heinous things are rich, you know? (laughs) So, um, but, um, you know, with that in mind, I think that if, you, if the answer for you is yes, that this player is worth it, that this player I think we think can grow, that we think even though the situation was awful, um, that we think that we can move forward and this person can be an asset to the team on a multiple number of levels on and off the field, then as long as the justice system is supportive of the, opportunity to give that person an opportunity to still be, um, a citizen, a public citizen, then I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna go any further than that. Even if I personally may disagree with whether or not whatever that person did or was, you know, was convicted of doing or what kind of plea bargain was made or what Mm -hmm. kind of deal was cut or what the deposition said, you know, or testimony said, that might make me think I'd rather see something different in our criminal justice system in terms of how it was handled yeah so any parting thoughts um
1: honestly those that are going to be headed to the senior bowl in the next week or so please do stay safe um you know uh take precautions distance mask all that stuff like I don't want to start reading like 3 weeks from now the people I know on the timeline people I've met people I care about are getting sick um I I I'm I wish I could be there I have reasons why I can't be there that you know I don't really want to dive into um but just
0: do stay safe um you know I I just stay safe yeah I think that's probably the best parting thought that we can have so I'm going to leave that with Mark and uh we hope that you guys enjoyed this little bonus edition, bonus and a half kind of edition of a the half. Quick Room, you know. Um, and we always enjoy doing this. I certainly enjoy getting to do this yeah, with Mark you know. every week. And you guys have a wonderful week and pre order your RSP.